Okay, here we go. So hello, everyone, and welcome to this fourth installment in our podcast, Dana and Chad's Musings. I am Chad. And I'm Dana. And we're just walking our way through this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life by Tish Harrison Warren. So hopefully you have a copy of this book. If you don't, um, I'd encourage you to get it. That way we can spend some time thinking about how these various chapters interact with our lives. Um, what we've been noticing in this is how so many times these small little things that happen um, that she talks about, like making the bed or getting up and brushing your teeth in the morning, these kinds of things, they show up as these spiritual practices that can actually be dug deeper for some of the ways in which they engage with the stuff that we do in church ourselves, um, the way that we engage together in a community within some of these spiritual practices, and the ways in which we learn to see and recognize God in our everyday moments and in our everyday lives. And this fourth chapter, she talks about losing keys, confession, and the truth about ourselves. She begins by saying that she's going about her lovely morning, doing what she's doing. And all of a sudden she has all the kids packed up in the car, I think, and she cannot figure out where her keys are. You know, that uh, pat of the pocket and the scoop of the purse and then the sudden panic that arises and she loses her keys and she has this whole thing that she has to go through to find them. She says that it goes through through a few different steps. She's um, searching a lot of places. So her first stage is logic. So she retraces her step, tries to figure it out, stay calm. Then she moves into self-condemnation where she's like, oh, I'm such an idiot. Where did I put those keys? Why am I such an idiot? Then she gets vexed. She gets frustrated. Um, and every time she can't find them, she just gets angrier and angrier. I love at this moment too, how she like blames others, right? She's like, yeah. I can't find him. I can't possibly be my fault only. It's got to be my husband or my kids. Yeah. And God must know where they are. So why isn't he helping me? <laughs> uh, um, and then stage four, she moves to desperation where she's looking everywhere, rummaging everywhere, um, just panic. Uh, and then last ditch effort where she stops to pray, breathes again, tries to relocate herself, um, and then despair where she just gives up, plops on the couch, and everything is hopeless. She talks about how this is a little bit of a overreaction, but that... Um, and even though it's only 15 minutes and she figures out where the keys are, that um, it's a bit of a, an apocalypse. And apocalypse just means, she says on page 52, that literally, apocalypse literally means an unveiling or an uncovering. In my anger, grumbling, self-berating, cursing, doubt, and despair, I glimpsed for a few minutes how tightly I cling to control and how little control I actually have. And in the absence of control, feeling stuck and stressed, those moments of me that I prefer to keep hidden were momentarily unveiled. Mm -hmm. I, I got to say, as I was reading through this, and like, it's, I can feel that moment of panic. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, oh no, oh no, where is it? And then especially if you have something, you have to go somewhere and you have to do something. My parents always drilled into me, leave at least 10 minutes early. So like you should show up wherever you're supposed to be 10 minutes before you're supposed to be there because that gives you time in case something happens. Like 
you lose your keys or something happens on the road, something like that. Um, but yeah, there's moments that that moment, it's like a visceral, physical reaction um, that is amazing, actually, in those moments. And and I've never really connected it to that sense of losing control, although, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Um, suddenly, you don't have, you literally don't have the keys to do what you're going to do next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have had a few moments on Sunday mornings where I have either worn two different shoes, forgot my shoes entirely, thought I left my candles burning, but didn't. All of Woody Nook remembers that, I'm sure. (laughs) And my purse is generally much too large. And so it takes me five minutes to find my keys every day. So I feel this this quite regularly, I think. But yeah, there is a sense in which you um, suddenly realize that uh, you're overreacting, but also where is your control? Yeah. You've lost control of something mm-hmm. or the way that you thought it would go. Yeah. And it actually got me thinking, um, particularly in this time of COVID, right? When mm-hmm. uh, so many of the things that we normally do have been taken away from us in so many ways, you know, like a Friday night I sit down and I think, Oh, I want to go do something with the family or I want to, I want to go and have some fun doing something. And then I start kind of thinking through or thinking through in my brain. Well, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Now we can go out to eat, but that's a bit of a risky thing sometimes. Uh, we were actually out to eat not that long ago, and we noticed that not all the protocols were being uh, followed, like the um, the pin pad for paying at the end. It was just being passed from person to person and table to table without being sanitized in between, and we're kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, that's a good idea. Hmm. But yeah, there's this sense in which the things which I normally would have been able to choose have now been taken away from me. And yeah, there's the, and that, I wouldn't say it's rage, but that low grade, just anger and, and frustration and vexation, um, I think comes up within me. And I think it has for so many different people, right? We're just frustrated with our lack of uh, ability to actually connect or do the things that we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And there's like real wisdom in the fact that like those are good things to want. But then um, she does talk about how we have the idolatry of ease and of the false hope of comfort and convenience. Like we are somehow owed these things and we put them up on pedestals. And I think that's, yeah, I think you're right. Like I too have found that there's that sense in which I would like more ease, especially in the midst of COVID. And I would like more um, hope of comfort and convenience, but we're not really able to do that. And so in many ways we are being exposed, Mm -hmm. all of us right now. Yeah, she says, this is on page 53. Uh, When something small happens, the slightest tear in the tape in in her day, the whole thing halts and becomes an unbidden morality tale. The neediness and the sinfulness, the neurosis and weakness that I try to pretty up and manage through control, ease and privilege are suddenly on display. Uh, There's that. Uh, so a week ago, she says her dryer, her dishwasher, and her ceiling fan all broke within a few hours. Most of her adult life, he's not, she never had a dryer. They used a clothesline or a laundromat, nor a dishwasher. They did the dishes by hand, nor feeling ceiling fans because they have air conditions. But when they all broke simultaneously, it felt like the universe had me on some kind of hit list. I took it personally, uh, which is interesting, right? Like we, 
Uh, it also reminds me of there's a, oh shoot, I can't remember the guy's name. There's a comedian that once talked about how everything is amazing and none of us are happy. He said the, the one example that he uses was uh, he was on one of these talk show hosts. Anyway, and the, the example he used was he just sat down on the airplane and they just took off, you know, and they're just settling down to cruising at atmosphere. And the uh, pilot announces that they have Wi-Fi available on this plane. Like it was, it was a new thing, right? Um, they could get. He's like, oh, awesome. Now I can actually pull out his laptop and he starts to work, right? Um, and there's this young kid beside him, pulls out his phone and starts listening to music. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the Wi-Fi crashes uh, and the stewardess comes on and says, we're sorry, you know, the Wi-Fi has crashed. And the guy right beside her goes, this is and he like takes his phone and slams it down. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you literally just found out like half an hour ago that this was even possible and now all of a sudden you're so upset because it got taken away from you. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I think so many of us have it so easy. We have so many things that when those little things are taken away from us, um, yeah, it just reveals a certain piece of that just desire to have everything right now the way we want it, the way we can get it. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. It also reminds me of, so I, I'd like to read, and I think I, I think I mentioned it on one of my uh devotional videos i like to read apocalypse books hmm. uh, every so often like or post-apocalypse books so these books like the hunger games or uh, what's another one like the the maze runner or some of these kinds yeah. of books um and i was recently reading through it's called a uh, ballad of songbirds and snakes it's like the prequel to the hunger hmm. games and it talks about uh, president snow and what he was like before he became president and how he kind of uh, made some decisions in his life but uh, one of the things that they they go through is that that idea of control and of human nature being inherently chaotic. Um, at least that's the that's the idea that he finally comes with, and this idea, this need for actual control. And it shows in various moments in his life as things happen, um, and he yeah he snaps into this like barbaric animalistic i don't want to share too much because i don't want to give it away for people but he he turns into this barbaric animalistic person um and then from that he assumes everybody does the same thing and that's just at base that's all people are and we have to find ways to control that urge in people hmm. so i guess that's a question for you are we inherently like at root are we inherently these frustrated narcissistic neurotic weak needy and sinful people um, that just kind of pretty ourselves up for a while or uh is there something else going on i feel like uh it's probably a yes we are and a no we're not <laughs> um you're gonna have to elaborate on that one well, like, I, I mean, so our idea of sin having tainted everything or touched everything would indicate that mm. there is some brokenness in us, right? Um, but the fact that we are created in God's image also means that there is some good in us and that we are possibly able to be moving in that direction as well, which is what we say Jesus has done. But uh, I think, yeah, so often we don't actually analyze or look deeply to say, like, why are we angry in this moment or why are we discontented or what is um wh why why do i need this control mm. and i think that we yeah it's easy for us to just react um but it's not always as easy for us to respond but if we take an extra breath we might actually not need 
to be quite as angry or upset. But there is a sense in which I think, like I, I remember this from childhood anyways, that things could be awful at home in the morning or that entire week and you pretty yourself up like physically and like as a family, you don't let people see what's actually going on. And I think that that, um, that, that bent towards making sure that no one sees those moments, even that she's talking about, that nobody sees those moments um, is something that we all do, I would gather, and is something that um, keeps us potentially protected from vulnerability in some ways, both so that we don't have to see the truth about ourselves, which she talks about, but also so that other people don't have to be confronted with the reality that, oh, hey, we've got like some brokenness in us too. Yeah. And I mean, in some ways it's a good thing, right? We don't always need to air our dirty laundry in front of everybody, no. right? Like I don't need to confess when I come into the office necessarily that um, I was freaking out because I couldn't find my keys or because my truck wouldn't start or whatever. Um, but by the same token, sometimes we, we just cover it up rather than actually dealing with mm -hmm. it, right? Uh, the other thing she notices is how it's interesting how those moments are like they're just the small little petty things. And I think some, in some ways, at least for me, it's, um, it's almost a bit of shame that something so little can cause such a reaction mm -hmm. in me. You know, like, uh, like she says, she gives over to despair in stage six as she names it, mm -hmm. right? She just plops on the couch and everything's worthless and the whole world is crappy. And, uh, but then when she starts to think about it, it's like, man, it's just a, key like it's just a couple of keys and it only took 15 minutes out of my day and like if I had calmed myself down um you know and we can compare that to kind of all of these things that are going on in the world and Shixi does that page 53 right um these unbidden unveilings these frustrations are insignificant compared to the immense suffering in our lives and in the broader world there are people who face profound agony every day chronic pain heart-wrenching loss desperation and in my own life, there have been deep seasons of sorrow, but this is not that. This is not the valley of the shadow of death. This is the roadside ditch of broken things and lost objects, the potholes of gloom and unwanted interruptions. And yet here is where I find myself on an ordinary day, she says. And here in my petty anger and irritation is where the Savior deigns to meet me. These moments are an opportunity for formation, for sanctification. Underneath these overreactions and aggravations lie true fears. Mm -hmm. So she just talks about how like um, we can kind of think about what it might look like to live that way in these different places. Like if a tornado rolled through, well, yes, we would, you know, you band together as a community, you work together to do things. Or, you know, if someone's barn falls down because there's too much snow on it or it burns up, um, the community comes together in order to help rebuild and do these different kinds of things, right? And you, you learn how to overcome those particular pieces. But in the the everyday little things, um, it reveals the fact that maybe we wouldn't be all that good with some of those major situations mm -hmm. either. Yep. The small opportunity for like moving towards a different direction mm -hmm. can be difficult. Sometimes more difficult than like it's harder to be kind in a small moment than it is in a large moment sometimes. But if you're not forming yourself in those places as well. We're actually looking at your fears. Like I think that that's I think she does hit on something pretty important there. That um, that there are true fears that underlie some of our reactions and 
they fears can be good, but they can also be hard for us to live with. Yeah. Yeah. Like she says that it hits on her fear of failure and incompetency, right? Broken dishwasher uncovers worries about money. Do they have enough to fix it? Um, a false sense of comfort and ease within it, uh, which moves her on to that section around or to the, this idea of contentment um, and how Paul urges and calls us to be content in all circumstances. Uh, and again, I think for some of us, and I don't know if, how much you've thought about this, but for some of us, it's kind of like, yeah, I think I could learn to be content if I lived in, you know, if I lived in a third world country and didn't have access to all of the kinds of stuff that we do now, you kind of, you just live with less. Um, but like right now, I'm, I'm living in a rental place and we're moving fairly shortly, but uh, we haven't unpacked everything. And there are moments when it's like, ugh, I know we have that, but it's packed. And like, there's this part of me that I don't want to live without that right now. Like, I don't want to live with less. I don't want to do without. Um, mm -hmm. But that call to contentment, even in the midst of these circumstances that are, that we're facing, um, that's something we have to face right now, even when it's just a little thing that we're missing. Mm -hmm. There was a story the other day on the news of some people who were 100, I think, trying to give advice to those of us who would have to live through COVID and the economic um, potential hardship that will come as a result of it. And they were like, well, we just made do with what we had. And we repurposed fabric for dresses and we made dessert without sugar. Um, but when we're on this side of it, right, and you think that through, when I, when I actually think that through, um, what that would look like, it's hard to know how you would be content once you've experienced something so different. It's hard to figure that out. I think that there's a, like, I think contentment is a really great thing to um, try to attain to also because Paul tells us to, so that's helpful. But uh, the idea that, um, I, I, I think I struggle, like with contentment, I struggle with um, a bit of a discernment process as well. I find a tension and contentment where um, sometimes, like the things that she's talking about, of course, like contentment would be a great thing to move towards. But there's also this sense in which at certain points you have longings and hopes and dreams and you see what it is that God is capable of or the promises that God has made. And um, there's a tension between wanting to feel contented and the potential direction that maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you or this idea of um, where the Holy Spirit might be moving the world or the things that we should be not content with um, so that we can bring about some of this God's kingdom. I think Bill Hybels wrote a book called Holy Discontent or something like that. Mm. Um, and I haven't read it, but that idea of like, what does holy discontentment mean? Is that like actually a helpful thing? Yeah. It reminds me of a, a book by Jamie Smith um, that I was given uh, as I was moving here, actually, about kind of a, a theology of someone on the journey. And so it goes through Augustine and how like there's kind of contentment for wayfarers, right? This idea that, yes, we can be content, but we also recognize that we're on a journey somewhere. It's called uh, On the Road with St. Augustine by Jamie Smith. Yeah, and it's the sense in which 
So that discontentment that we feel, um, and maybe even anger at certain moments, uh, not necessarily at our own ease. So yes, I get, mm -hmm. you know, like if we're angry about losing our keys and that's enough to set us off that we snap at everybody around us, well, okay, maybe we need to learn a little bit of contentment. But um, yeah, like the way the world is right now, for someone to just say, well, you need to be content with the way the world is right now, um, particularly if it's someone like myself, a white male who's middle-aged, kind of not quite 40 yet, close, but not quite. Um, saying that to somebody else, right, that might be living in a place that does not have access to the same kinds of opportunities that I do, that's wrong, I guess is the easiest way to put it, right, for me to just say, well, you just need to be, you need to learn to be content with your circumstances, right? Like, yeah, the world is set up in such a way that most of the resources of the world just go towards certain portions of a population and the rest of the world, well, they just have to learn to be content. Like, that's just, that's just wrong, mm -hmm. right? Um, I was listening to the news the other day and um, Bezos, the owner of Amazon, is set to become the world's first trillionaire, mm -hmm. right? In his, his, personal fortune like that's not amazon that's not the company that's not these other kinds of pieces and so i get the whole desire for and the need actually for profit to be able to move resources in a good direction and to be able to encourage further development within certain things and to make life uh, to solve certain problems like i have no problem with that but for one particular person to have a personal fortune that is greater than most of the countries in the world combined I'm going to go out on a limb and just say that's kind of wrong, given the way that our world is currently set up, right? So, yeah, so for me, yes, contentment is an extremely important part of the way that we live our life um, and content in every circumstance, regardless, right? Like Paul talks about whether he's, uh, you know, just been shipwrecked and dealing with issues or he's content somewhere. He's living in Philippi or in Corinth and they're looking after him and he's surrounded by a great group of people. Um, same kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Learning to engage with what God is giving in those particular moments. Yeah. But um, yeah, we don't necessarily have to be content with suffering or with inequalities or these different kinds of pieces, for sure. And sometimes I wonder too, if like contentment uh, or discontentment can sometimes um, be like the ants in your pants to help you see something that maybe you're being called to or invited into or that sort of thing that it's not just about big world changes, but even like about small life changes or small things that need to be transformed in our own lives. Not necessarily in a negative way, like this is wrong with me and therefore, but even just like, I think it's time for this to look different. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why I like the the idea. Now we've talked about this before, and and Tish tends to focus on the negative aspect of mm -hmm. some of these pieces, right? So how apocalypse um, reveals certain things, and generally she notes that it reveals certain negative aspects of our lives, which is totally true. Um, but I think sometimes these moments can show us positive things, and she's done this in other chapters too, where. It, tends to focus on the negative aspect, um, how God meets us in those places where he needs to fix something in mm -hmm. our lives, which totally true. Um, but sometimes I think God meets us in places in our lives in order to reveal ways in which the spirit is already at work in our lives, mm -hmm. right? So particularly for us as Christians, so at root, yes, you know, God made us good and that goodness has been broken in the fall. But as Christians, we are being remade again as well. So we should expect to see moments of goodness in our life. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes we need to see those moments of goodness um, after or in contrast to 
some of the moments of bad, for lack of better way to put mm -hmm. it. So she says, this is, in, in, uh, this is on page 56. Um, she says, it's not enough to merely want to be content or tell myself to cheer up. I need to cultivate the practice of meeting Christ in these small moments of grief, frustration, and anger, of encountering Christ's death and resurrection, this big story of brokenness and redemption in a small, gray, stir-crazy Tuesday morning. Those are the hardest moments, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I can tend towards despair or like, oh, the world is awful. All you have to do is ask Deb and she will tell you that this is a common <laughs> concern of Dana's. Um, but uh, I think that it's, as I was reading this, I was like, oh yeah, like Tuesday mornings are my like, oh no, the world is like bad. Um, nothing's going to turn out. Um, and so even just being a, never going to get all my yeah. work done. I'm not going to be able to get it. Yeah. She once told me that every Tuesday I say the same thing. And so that was actually really helpful to be like, oh, this is just another cycle of the way that I go through life. And now it's time to step outside of that and be like, oh, actually Tuesday morning, there's lots of things to be grateful for. Um, mm. And finding that contentment, but it is really a practice of, at least I find that for myself um, that I have to, some days it's easy, but other days it's harder to actually cultivate contentment. What about for you? So if you've watched, before okay. we go to me, um, <laughs> so if you've actually moved from a place of freaking out every Tuesday morning to a place where, okay, you, know, you and God have got this, um, what did that look like? Was it just natural progression? Mm -hmm. Did it take, like, was it, you kind of suggested that maybe it was Deb saying that to you that was one of those apocalypse moments just kind of revealed to you, oh, okay, maybe there's something going on here that I need to pay attention to. Yeah, I think it, I think it was really uh, more of the apocalypse moment where Deb was like, oh, you realize you do this every Tuesday morning and being able to see myself for, or see that pattern in myself for what it actually was, like a pattern that had me a bit trapped. Um, allowed me to step outside of it. I think that it like, I think that was the biggest piece of it, but then like the piece of um, actually taking action after seeing that was important. Like the, um, like, oh, I, ca I caught myself, like on Tuesday morning, I caught myself going that direction, like, oh, it's everything's going to be awful. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, no, like, um, I'm done my sermon. It was done yesterday and everything else is going fine. And uh, I've got some great things to look forward to today. And the sun is shining. So um, recognizing that pattern, but then also changing some of the ways that I interact with that rather than like, going down into the that despair or into that pattern stepping aside and act, actively taking action um that mm. was in the opposite direction in some ways i think yeah and helpful. in some ways i think you could see like so deb revealing that to you is kind of saying hey dana you're freaking out again yeah. in some ways right yeah. like uh, and maybe that wasn't something that you had noticed about yourself, but to have somebody else mm -hmm. recognize that in you and to just like, and then, I mean, that, yeah, that would cause me to do a double take. Oh, really? Like every Tuesday I freak <laughs> out like this? Oh dear. I, you know, yeah. and that, there's a temptation to go, you're like, I'm a horrible person. This is the worst thing yeah. ever. I don't know. I'm sorry, Deb. I'm not going to talk again. Um, uh, for those of you who are listening, who don't know the Woodinuck Church, Deb is our secretary, our long suffering secretary yeah. here, who's amazing in our community. Uh, 
but also I think in the same ways, um, she kind of reveals that, um, almost reveals a strength as well, right? So she says, yeah, you say that every Tuesday, but at the same time, you get things done every mm -hmm. week and things do work out. And, uh, you know, you might say God is with you, helping you out through these particular pieces. So that moment kind of reveals both this negative aspect of like, okay, you got to stop freaking out. Um, but also because uh, it's worked out before and because these things will go in a good direction. Mm -hmm. And that kind of um, moves us into that next piece within her book where she talks about repentance. Um, now, for some of us, she says, this is 56, the idea of repentance can bring to mind a particular emotional experience or the minor key songs of an altar call or revival meeting. Um, while, um, what's the song? Come as you are. Um, no, just as I oh, am. That's the song. <laughs> Yeah, that's a song that's often played, which is a great, mm -hmm. right? And it is like there are, there are these moments when we do need to actually give up our sense of control. Um, but repentance is also so. There's a couple of ways that the New Testament talks about it in in the Greek, right? So one is kind of a change in direction. So the idea of you recognize that you're going in one direction, a wrong direction, and so you repent and you turn around and move in the other direction. Uh, but they also use a term or a phrase that means change in your mind as well. So metanoeo, which uh, one author that I read, I think it was Mike Breen, um, describes it as agreeing with God about reality. Um, and that can be either positive or negative, right? So that can be Yes, I agree that the things that I've been doing um, is wrong, and so I'll change that. It might also be, yes, I agree that uh, Jesus has died for me. Yes, I agree that I am loved by God. Yes, I agree that God does work through me and things do work out. Um, so it can also be a positive piece within that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, she kind of gets to that in 56, in these moments of that reveal my lostness and my brokenness, I need to develop the habit of admitting the truth of who I am, not running to justify myself or minimize my sin. So that's absolutely true. But then yet in my brokenness and lostness, I also need to form the habit of letting God love me, trusting again in his mercy and receiving again his words of forgiveness and absolution over me. Yeah, telling the truth about who we are in its fullness, actually. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to focus on one thing or the other. And I don't think that's just me. I've heard enough stories from people that I think that it's easy, easier in some ways to focus on our shame or our sin or our, especially in Christian circles, we have harped on that for a long time. And, uh, and that can be good. It's good to tell the truth of and to own responsibility, take responsibility for the ways in which we have um, not loved God or ourselves as we're invited into. But it's also, I think in some ways, it's almost harder to tell the truth about the reality that we can receive this grace and receive this mercy and that we are loved. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I love how she connects um, 
confession and absolution, or in our um, in our context, it's kind of the confession and the assurance of pardon, mm -hmm. right? Both of those are needed. And I find sometimes uh, that people pay attention more to like the prayer of confession than they do to the words of assurance or to the absolution, right? This declaration that you are forgiven mm -hmm. um, doesn't always stick. Um, I think sometimes, uh, particularly for me, there are moments when I don't, I don't feel like those words are necessarily for me. Um, maybe I don't feel like I've repented hard enough, or <laughs> yeah. whatever that means. There are times, yeah. right, where it's like, I'm not sure I really feel sorry enough about this to be forgiven for it, um, that kind of thing. But those words of assurance uh, are equally as important um, to hear in those moments as the recognition that we are broken mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I've been listening to um, a few different things with COVID um, than I've been able to tune into a few other churches. And there's been a few churches that I've watched who, when they talk about confession, um, they first, like they couch it, they put bookends on both sides of how we come to do this, not as like a cosmic beat down is what the one guy always says, mm -hmm. not as a cosmic beat down from like some divine on high that's like trying to which I think sometimes we kind of imagine God as, at least in the cultural narrative. Um, but this idea that we come to do it in the kindness of God and that God's kindness and mercy and grace, which are there before us um, and lead us to that confession because we recognize that we need that. I think in some ways, like, like I grew up in a very, I think I've said this before on this, podcasting like in a in a place where sin was highly like personal sin was highly um professed uh and like condemned and if you did x y or z like if you danced or drank or smoke you were definitely like in big big trouble um just as a for instance um amongst other things and this idea of focusing so much on it actually caused um more like in, in the community, I saw anyways, a more like sense of beating ourselves down, um, wallowing in shame almost, um, rather than accepting and receiving grace. But I mean, that's hard to do in normal life if somebody gives you a compliment, right? Um, you don't just say, oh, thank you for that. I see what you mean. I appreciate that that was, that, that I have, you know, helped you in that way. It's always like, oh, oh ah, can I accept that? At least I think that's for <laughs> yeah. me anyways. But, yeah to accept grace yeah, in regular hard. life not just from god mm -hmm. well and often we feel like we have to repay it yeah. right yeah. we have to repay the compliment in some way so if someone says something we're like oh yeah and you you too in some way yeah or, um and sometimes like i've learned a practice that someone gave me a while ago because i used to downplay mm -hmm. stuff all the time so someone would say something and then i'd say oh no not really whatever because um, you know you're not supposed to have a swelled head and you're not supposed to do all these kinds of things and you're not supposed to accept these things or or toot your own horn however yeah. you want to put it um so i a spiritual director once told me you know when someone gives you a compliment or says something you should just say thank you and so for a while i would do that i would just say thank you but then they kind of look at you like okay you're welcome <laughs> like I, it would yeah. like we're not so yes we're not good at necessarily because it takes a bit for people to give compliments mm -hmm. too right yeah. but um 
yeah, because in our culture, there's kind of this reciprocal piece. It was almost like, oh no, and you're supposed to say something back or you're so, not that they would ever say that because yeah. that wasn't the intention of doing it. But yeah, for someone to just say, thank you and to accept that, um, yeah, it was a bit odd for mm -hmm. people. Yeah. I love this, this line that she does uh, on page 57. Uh, Repentance is not usually a moment wrought in high drama. It is the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ and therefore a day in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I love how she connects again, right? The, we've talked about this before, but how she connects the practices that we do within our regular worship as a community together with kind of the things that show up in our everyday lives and how that moment of confession and the words of assurance within, uh, within the scripture or within the service as we connect um, to God and we, you know, we've already been greeted by him. We've already offered up some worship. And then there's this recognition that, yeah, maybe there's some stuff that we need to deal with as a community, but then we learn that that's already been forgiven for us um, and how that fits with us in our everyday lives. Um, confession, she says, reminds us that none of us gather for worship because we are, quote, pretty good people, but we are new people, people marked by grace in spite of ourselves because of the work of Christ. Our communal practice of confession reminds us that failure in the Christian life is the norm, uh, but we are not left on our own. It is interesting that she doesn't, like with repentance, she doesn't really talk about the, um, about that first definition that you gave, the like moving in a new mm. direction, right? Um, mm. That's true. Yeah, she essentially talks about um, admitting our problems, right, as repentance. Mm -hmm. Which I think is the first step in many things, but yeah has to come a point yeah, where I you often, take action as well. Yeah, I often remind my kids, the first step to solving your problem is admitting you have it, but that's only the first <laughs> step in solving the problem. It would be nice if that was the only there. step, but. I totally, but yeah. right? That would be amazing. If that's all we had to do, that would be great, but that's only the first mm -hmm. step. Yeah. That's why as she, wraps up kind of that section on repentance and confession. She goes back to the idea of uh, accepting the goodness of God. This is on page 59. She talks about how unkind and condemning thoughts tell me that God's love is distant, cold, or irrelevant, that I must prove myself to God and to other people, that I am orphaned and unlovable, that God is tapping his toe and patient with me and ready to walk out on me. These thoughts are loud enough that I need a human voice telling me week in and week out that they are lies. I need to hear from someone who knows me that there is grace enough for me, that Christ's work is on my behalf, even as I'm on my knees confessing that I've blown it again this week. We may confess quietly, even silently, but we are reminded of our forgiveness out loud with standing and shouting. We need to be sure to hear it. There's an interesting um, dynamic because we definitely say you are forgiven, you are welcomed, you know, God embraces you, your sins are forgiven in a church mm -hmm. service, but um, it's not something that we practice with each other very often. Mm. Unless maybe that's different in your experience, but... No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Would be the short answer. I, I mean, there's there are mm -hmm. moments, right? And there's certain people that um, certain people like I look back on my life, and and there's certain certain people that were real encouragers, um, 
that would, I mean, they wouldn't necessarily speak that specifically mm-hmm. um, to me, but would definitely make me realize or acknowledge that um, that brokenness is not the sum total of who who I am, right? Um, so yeah, would would encourage me to yearn for something better, would recognize that God is working in me and calling me into, into a new direction. Um, those kinds of pieces for sure. Yeah, and even like in a situation where if one of us wronged each other and we came to each other and said, I'm sorry, right? It's not the usual response. And forgiveness is this large, difficult process. Like I don't want to undermine that it's a very complex thing. But oftentimes um, we don't say to one another, like you are forgiven or I forgive you. Like uh, it's not an easy thing. And sometimes I wonder, like um, I've often thought uh romantically um about the catholic tradition of confession even though i know it's Mm -hmm. wrought with some issues and problems as well but that idea of like actually coming to someone and like confessing the things that you've actually um done can and taking responsibility for that to have somebody actually say to you like i hear I hear what you are saying and I want you to know that you are forgiven in Christ. That's not something that we offer to each other, but I sometimes wonder if it would be um, transformative in a way that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Normally we minimize the sin, Mm -hmm. right? So normally we say, Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. It's okay. Right. That's normally how we respond, which we, I hope at least that we mean, you're forgiven. It's okay. We'll put it past us and move on. Um, but yeah, to the other, so I, there's, I, I think it's the book free of charge by Miroslav Wolf, a fantastic mm-hmm. explication of this idea of, you know, um, sinfulness, but then also like that within human experience, the, the desire for retribution and the act of forgiveness and all of these different kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he often says that one of the things that, if I remember this correctly, and I might be totally mm-hmm. wrong, uh, adding some other pieces, but uh, when we uh, offer forgiveness, we're also condemning the action. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's obvious because like, if I were to go home and say to my wife, oh, I forgive you for whatever, um, she would look at me like I'm crazy because she well, what did I do wrong? Like that's your first, when someone says, oh, I forgive you. Um, In order to accept that forgiveness, we have to be able to admit that something we did was wrong. But what I find interesting is how rather than admitting the pain or the heartache or the hurt that has happened when something happens to us, when someone apologizes, um, yeah, we just say, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Miroslav, that book that you mentioned, that's his very readable one, free of charge, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely worth reading. He's also got, he's also got exclusion and embrace. Yeah. And I think that might also have the, um, some of those same kinds of topics in yeah. it. But, I, but it's, yeah. um, I found that one much harder to read. Yeah, a little more yeah. theological, maybe. Or a little more, a few bigger words. We'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So she wraps up this this idea of these moments, these small moments, meeting Christ uh, and be, having ourselves revealed, but then also 
applying kind of this absolution to us is important in everyday lives. In these moments of my day, losing my keys, losing patience, snapping at those I love, slamming the dishwasher door, I can respond with self-condemnation, self-justification, or repentance. When we confess and receive absolution together, we're like a football team practicing its plays or a theater company rehearsing its lines. Together as a church, we are practicing, learning the strokes that teach us to live our lives where we can respond with repentance and then also recognize that we are forgiven as well. I'm still thinking about your forgiveness thing, about how that's condemning the action. Mm. makes it hard to actually um like if we hear god's forgiveness then on sunday mornings that's interesting too i don't have more of a thought to that but <laughs> it's rolling around in my now, head the, the one way i've heard it given is so like when we even because you know you can offer mm -hmm. forgiveness before someone confesses right or before someone um apologizes but in order for them to accept that so in order to move to reconciliation they need to admit it's like a the again i think this is miroslav mm -hmm. wolf he uses the um the idea of it being an actual physical gift so when you offer forgiveness to someone you're actually offering them a gift but for them to accept it they need to admit or recognize that that forgiveness should be offered and in order to recognize that forgiveness is offered we have to admit that there's some reason mm -hmm. for that forgiveness to be offered um which is that changed the way i thought about kind of just um, forgiveness in general mm -hmm. um particularly for those who have been through difficult circumstances who find it hard to forgive uh, because there's a part of our world that kind of says well if you're forgiving someone you're letting them off the hook right. um and in some ways, you you are you're saying I will no longer hold you accountable for it. Uh, we'll let somebody else do that. I'll forgive you for it. But for there to be any future of a relationship, so for them to accept that forgiveness and move towards reconciliation, uh, they have to. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Wolf is wrong. I don't know. But it seems like there has to be a, a, a an admission of fault in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form. Yep. Which again is good because then that gives us the ability to say so when you do forgive you're not just saying oh it's no big deal no big you know forget about it we'll move on you're actually saying no that was wrong it should not have happened and yet i'm not going to hold you accountable mm -hmm. which does make this part about confession then like a necessary piece of actually like it's totally vulnerable then, right? And it always is when I imagine it, but it's very vulnerable in practice because you are, yeah, not only taking responsibility for it, but also condemning it in yourself in some ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like how her last paragraph, she talks about, um, she kind of bookends it, like she lost her keys, but then, um, she says, God searches more earnestly for me than I do for my keys. Like the woman who is sweeping for the lost coin. Um, God is searching for us. Zealous to find his people and to make them whole. Mm -hmm. Gotta love the imagery. Yeah. So we've touched on a few big deals in this <laughs> chapter. It's a small chapter, but it's packed mm -hmm. with different things, right? Confession, repentance, assurance of forgiveness, and the idea that God reveals certain things about our lives in our everyday lives. It's uh, quite packed. Mm -hmm. Indeed it is. So thanks for being with us. 
uh, for listening uh, and joining us in this. We do again invite you to get the book and to continue finding God in ordinary moments. <laughs>